I enjoy history. I was actually a history major when I was in college. Uh, I started out studying history just because it's fascinating to me. Uh, and I thought I'd start out with a little history this morning. So around 1630, uh, it was about 300 years ago, there was a ship called the Arabella that set off from England uh, along with about 10 other ships, so there was 11 in total, uh, carrying about 1,000 Puritans. Now, Puritans were these Protestants whose goal it was to purify the church. Uh, they, wanted to, they, they thought it had been corrupted over years and years, and so their goal was to purify it. So these Puritans set sail for what they understood to be the New World, uh, where they wanted to set up this kind of new life for themselves and begin the church in new ways. On their way there, on the Arabella, there was a guy named John Winthrop, who would eventually become the governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And Winthrop gave a sermon on the ship, because of course he would. Uh, so he gave a sermon called A Model of Christian Charity, and in it he shared his vision for what the Massachusetts Bay Colony would be. He said, We shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. A city on a hill. That was kind of their sense of what they were going to become. And ever since then, uh, this phrase, city on a hill, has been used by countless politicians uh, to talk about America and our role in the world. And it, it tends to have this kind of sense to it that there's something really special about America, that God is, in a very specific way, using America to do something in the world. The thing is... That phrase was never intended to be for America, or any particular political or uh, country, um, or any political party. That phrase means something really specific, and it doesn't have anything to do with a nation-state or politics. In fact, we find that phrase in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we talked about this a little bit last week. We actually talk about this quite a bit. It's the longest teaching of Jesus that you find in the first biography of Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel. And Jesus, in the beginning, he very specifically calls his followers, his disciples, to kind of gather around him, and he begins to teach. And he says this in verse 14, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. So this phrase, city on a hill, was used by Jesus specifically for his disciples. Not a nation, but a people. Particularly the people who were following him, who were walking in his way, who were, who were learning from him. The primary way that Jesus said God was going to shine in the world was through these people. What would later become to, to be known as the church. That it's the church through whom God is doing God's work in the world, primarily. Not a, not a nation. The church. In fact, this kind of stands out a little later when you see an interaction between Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, and Jesus himself. Um, this is specifically about the church. We find it in Matthew, again in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, where Peter actually acknowledges that Jesus is the Messiah, the, the one who's going to come and rescue Israel and, in fact, all the world. And Jesus' response to Peter recognizing he's the Messiah is to say this. He says, 
you, Peter, he actually renames Peter. Up until this point, we're calling Peter Simon. And he says, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So what the powers of hell cannot conquer is not a particular nation state, but the church. Interestingly, immediately after this, I encourage you to read it if you're not familiar with the story, but immediately after this, Jesus starts talking about his plan to to go to the cross. And Peter interrupts him, because this does not fit Peter's narrative for how God is going to restore Israel and work God's plan out through the nation of Israel. Right? So Jesus starts talking about how he's going to go to the cross and be killed, and Peter actually rebukes him, at which point Jesus has to rebuke Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. And the problem was that Peter expected that Jesus was going to do his work through the nation of Israel, the way that nations work, you know, by raising up armies and conquering enemies. That's how God was going to work. And Jesus actually identifies that idea as satanic. He says, get behind me, Satan. I'm not going to work through... I'm not going to work through political means primarily. My primary way of working in the world is not by raising up Israel to destroy Rome, to kill our enemies, but to give myself in love. It's it's completely foreign to Peter. And frankly, it's completely foreign to us most of the time. We make the same mistake that Peter does. We we think that the way that God is going to work is primarily through political means. But it's not. It's actually through the church. And again, I, if you've been tracking with us at all, you know this, but just as a reminder, we don't, when we say the church, we don't mean like this. If you're, not, if, if you're new with us, this is our church building back here. We don't mean this. We don't mean something with a steeple. We don't mean a building, right? We mean the people, the, the followers of Christ coming together, learning together what it means to know God, to love God, and to live in the way of Jesus in the world. That's the church. And that's why, no matter what kind of COVID changes, the fact that now we're like meeting in a parking lot or at home on our couch or, you know, however that works, it doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that God is still primarily choosing to work through the church. And that's the focus of this series we're in. We're in a series we're calling Primary. And in it, we're engaging this idea where, uh, like currently, right now, as, as we've been through a couple of um, you know, the, the Democratic and the Republican National Conventions, and we're looking ahead to November 3rd, and there's a lot of anxiety around what might happen, whether the person that we most hope uh, ends up as president at the end of that gets to be president. And uh, we're, we're kind of exploring the, the idea that we've, we've made the same mistake Peter has made. We've, we've gotten things backwards. We think the primary way God is going to work in the world is through some political means. And, and these are important, but it's not the primary way God works. That God is doing something different. And, and the, the city on a hill that's being spoken about is the church. It's the, the church not as a building, but the people. And, and the universal expression of the church. Uh, the, the word that's actually used uh, for church, or the, the Greek word that gets translated uh, church, is this word ekklesia, which just means assembly or gathering. And so it, it had been used for like these kind of outdoor, even political gatherings, um, but it began to be used for these gatherings of people who were together coming and sharing food and, and praying and, and working to live out the way of Jesus together. That's the church. 
And so, in the same way, the church, the, the city on a hill that God is using, is not necessarily some huge, magnificent, you know, mega church with lots of money, though those can be great, um, but it's every gathering of followers of Jesus, as we come together and as we learn from him, and as we learn together what it means to, to love God and to love our neighbor in our particular context. So it could be in a big, shiny building, or it could be, you know, in a, in a pub in, in England, or a, a storefront in Peru, or an underground house church in China. All of these places where folks are gathering to worship Jesus as Lord and to learn what it means to live in his way, that's the church. And that's the way in which God is working out his plan in the world. It's kind of remarkable, but this is how, this is how God works. Always in the unexpected, right? Like the, the most unexpected thing ever was that God would bring about salvation and restoration through the, the tragic public torture and death of Jesus. And yet in the resurrection we see that that's in fact how God has been working and is working. And in the same way the church doesn't always look like the thing that God is going to use to change the world. In fact a lot of times we want to cock our eyebrow and be like really? We think that was kind of a bad choice. But yet God continues to show up and work through, through the church. Through followers of Christ. And I think the reason why this is how God chooses to work is captured in, a, in one of Paul's letters to uh, the one of the churches. So a lot of the New Testament we have is uh, made up of letters that Paul and others, Paul, one of the early church leaders, wrote to small gatherings of Jesus followers in lots of different places. And he often wrote to them because they were a hot mess, not because they were an amazing example of what the Spirit was doing, but because they were just a mess. And so he had to write letters to them to help them understand what it meant to live in the way of Jesus together. And as, as he did that, we got what we now see as the sacred scriptures. So this is in uh, 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse seven, or chapter 5, verse 17, and I'm going to read down to 21. And this captures, I think, the two reasons why God continues to choose to work in the church. Paul writes, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ <clears throat> has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I think the two things we see in this passage and all through the scriptures that are true about the church is that the church is a community of both transformation and incarnation. Transformation and incarnation. So I think these are, these are really important. So... We're, we're a community of transformation, meaning we are a place where we as broken people come together to worship, to pray, to learn from Jesus, and to do life together. And as we do so, the Spirit changes us, transforms us, makes us new creation, is the, the phrase that Paul uses, right? He, he makes us new. We become whole people. Not perfect 
not that we never get anything wrong, but we become people who are increasingly are becoming the kind of people that God created us to be as the Spirit works in us, as we gather. And this is critical because we can't give what we don't have. We can't be a source of something that we've not partaken in. And if we haven't received transformation, if we haven't been made new, then what do we have to offer? Right? Like If we've not been forgiven, if we've not received God's gracious forgiveness, then we can't really offer forgiveness. Not really. If we've not encountered the truth, then we can't really speak what's true. If we've not been loved, not received the love of God deeply, then we can't love. Not really. We might be able to manipulate people to get what we want, but it's not really love. I love how uh, Father Richard Rohr says this in his book, Falling Upward. He says, Whole people see and create wholeness wherever they go. Split people see and create splits in everything and everybody. What we do springs from who we are. And that's why first and foremost, the church is a place where we are transformed by God's Spirit. Whereas we come together and we worship, we are made whole. Again, not perfect, but we are increasingly made whole as we learn together what it means to worship God, to love God, and to live into the way of Jesus together. We are transformed. And then there's the incarnation piece, right? So there's transformation and there's incarnation. So incarnation is this theological term that specifically refers to God becoming a human in Jesus, right? So the word became flesh is the way that John says it in his gospel, that God takes on flesh. It's the incarnation. But the incarnation is also what happens with the church. The phrase that Paul uses that we've been using a lot over the last couple of series that is the body of Christ that the church in this mysterious way that doesn't make a lot of sense to us because we, don't, we, don't, we often experience uh, the church as this broken group of people who are trying their best to learn what it means to love God and love others and we're like, really this? But the mystery is that yes, the spirit of Christ is alive in the church and this is the body of Christ working out God's will and purposes in the world. Even though that might seem strange to us, Christ incarnates himself in us. And so we first are transformed, but then we, we incarnate. As we are made whole in Christ, we live out of that place. We, we are then the city on a hill. And it doesn't matter how, how big we are, right? Like if you think about light in a dark place, the tiniest light seems pretty bright in the midst of darkness. It doesn't have to be a, a huge, you know, like a, a spotlight can be something small. But as we are people who are being transformed by the Spirit of Christ together and we live out that, that wholeness, that healing, the forgiveness, the love that we're experiencing together, then we can be a source of light in the world. Or as Jesus said, when people see our good deeds, they'll praise our Father in heaven. When we forgive out of the depth of forgiveness that we've received, people will experience the forgiveness of God. When we speak what's true because we've encountered the truth in Christ and our truth sounds like Christ, then people will experience that as the, the good news that it is. When we love because we've been deeply loved, then people will experience it as the love of Christ. The good things we do come out of the healing that God has done in us. Or again, 
As Rohr said, we can only see and create wholeness if we ourselves are made whole. And in, in fact, the real danger, I think, of, of allowing politics to be the thing that we use to bring about massive change is that there is no mechanism in politics for personal transformation, right? And so we end up, the, the worst parts of ourselves often come out as we engage politically if we're not first being transformed, if we're not primarily being shaped by Jesus. I, I think about what, what Nietzsche said, and he said, beware that when fighting monsters, you yourself don't become a monster. And often you see this in politics, right? Like, we, in, in our desire to fight the monster that we've defined on the other side, we become monsters ourselves. Because there's no mechanism in politics for personal transformation. It just becomes this, this tool that we use to bludgeon each other. Or I think about the story that Jesus told, uh, in, again, in his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, I believe, where Jesus talks about the dangers of judgment. And he says, you know, why do you, when you have a log in your eye, try and dig the speck out of your brother's eye? First, focus on the log in your own eye. Get the log out of your eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's. And I, I think often we jump, we, we leapfrog over the, the critical task of removing the log from our own eye. And then when we try to dig the speck out of our brother's and sister's eyes, we end up poking a lot of people in the eye, doing a lot of damage. This is why God chooses to work primarily through the church. Because God's desire is to first transform us, and then as we are transformed and made more like Christ, to incarnate himself in and through us together. This is what is meant by city on a hill. You, us, the church universal in all of its forms, being changed by Christ and living in the way of Christ together. Transformation and incarnation. This is how the Spirit is working. So as we kind of bring this time to a close and we kind of move into a, a final worship song, I, I want to invite you to think about um, maybe some action items, some ways you, you can think about living into this this week. Because I think it's important, you know, it's not just a do one or two things and all of this will change, but it is important, you know, most of us are trained that we're daily checking our news feed, we're kind of taking in um, all sorts of rhetoric about politics and the state of our world, and it shapes us in a particular way. And so we have to be intentional about other practices that, that reform us, that, that form us in the way of Jesus. And so I would invite you as we're thinking about what it means to be a city on the hill, to be the church, to think about, first of all, as we kind of move into this time of worship, what is the thing, when you think about politics or, or social issues that are happening right now, what is the thing that gets you most angry or fearful? When you think about it, it rises up within you. What is that? And I would encourage you as, as we worship now to kind of hold that out before God. And ask God to explore where you might have a log in your eye regarding that issue. Is there something going on that God wants to do in you to kind of to bring about some transformation, to heal you? So that you might be able to engage that issue actually more wholly as a, as a way um, out of the abundance of grace that you've received. So as we worship, and then throughout the week, to kind of take that to prayer. To regularly be praying about that issue. The thing that most riles you politically or socially right now, what is that? Bring that to God regularly, daily, in prayer. So that's one. And then secondly, 
as the church, I would encourage you, consider reaching out to one or two people who are part of the church here and inviting them to pray with you around that issue. You know, what is that thing that kind of most, you know, it, it impassions you? Where might God want to bring healing for you? And then how might God be inviting us, either us as like individual pockets or as a whole church, like what might the Spirit be doing there? How might be God, how might God be leading you to respond? Invite another person or two into prayer around that for you. How does God want to change you and how does God want to incarnate himself through you for that issue in particular? We need to remember that the way that God works, of course, there are some important things working uh, that, that need to happen in the political realm and but we need to first realize that the, the change God is bringing is in and through us as we are transformed and as he incarnates himself through us. So let me pray for us as the worship team comes up and uh, we'll wrap it up with a final song. Father, we confess that we often, like Peter, um, want to quickly go to political means to accomplish your purposes. But we also recognize that before we know what to do, we need to allow you to do something in us. We need to allow you to be at work in changing us and healing us and making us whole. And then moving in and through us, individually and also collectively, in a way that reflects your character. So would you help us to identify the, the logs in our own eyes, the things that you want to work on to bring healing and wholeness? And would you help us together to discern how you're calling us to be a light in our, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in the community that you've placed us, so that we can be the city on a hill that you've called us to be, so that the light that shines through us is not simply what we're working really hard to do, and certainly not what any particular political party or ideology says we ought to do, but it displays the character and the love of Christ as we live it out as transformed and, and transforming people. It's in Jesus' name we ask all of this. Amen.